It's one thing if a young person says, look, I reject this, but it's a completely different posture if a teen says, I'm not sure if I really believe this. If somebody says, yeah, I'm not sure, that's an opportunity because they're saying, if it's real, I gotta know. No one truly expects us to have all the answers, and especially not our kids. They have a front row seat to know we don't have it all together. But as a Christian parent, when your child asks a challenging question about your faith, it does feel nice when you can answer with confidence. Alex McFarland knows the importance of adults being well-equipped to answer the questions of their kids. Our guest is an author, apologist, and pastor. Alex McFarland has written books like The 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity and 100 Bible Questions and Answers. Alex, welcome to the conversation this morning. Well, thank you very much. It's a, an honor to be on. Yeah, looking forward to getting to know you as a brother in Christ, getting to know you as an apologist. And we're going to talk a bit around a book that you wrote called 21 Toughest Questions That Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity, which if I was a parent, I'm a grandparent now, but my ears would perk up mm. with that topic. But first of all, how did you get into this whole space of kind of worldview, apologetics? How did that come about in your life? Thanks very much for having me on. And I appreciate what you do to bless and minister to listeners uh, throughout Nebraska and beyond. But um, I, I became a Christian when I was in college and a lot of my friends didn't know the Lord. And I was trying trying to talk to a lot of my friends about Christ, and they had questions, you know, and so I began to read and study, number one, the Bible, the Word of God, but I began to read about apologetics to try to, you know, share Jesus with my friends at school, hmm. and then um, was growing in the Lord, involved in church, volunteering. The woman that I would ultimately marry, we were helping with the youth group and everything, and so um, we got married, and I went to school and felt God's call to the ministry. I was a youth pastor full-time for 11 years. Mm -hmm. And then we started doing events, and we would bring together speakers. You know, I don't, I don't know if your listeners know all these names, but people like Josh McDowell oh, yeah. and Lee Strobel, who wrote The Case for Christ. Mm -hmm. And by about our sixth or seventh arena-sized event, I got a call from Focus on the Family, Dr. James Dobson, and he said, I want to start a department of youth apologetics and worldview, begin to write books and minister more and more to families, and just, you look up and 25 years has gone by, you know? So, obviously, we want all people to know the Lord and to grow in the, the Christian faith, but moms and dads especially, because I, I've just come to realize that the future of the church and really the future of the nation is dependent on great families, Christian families. And so we're trying to equip parents to know how to pass the faith on to their children. Hmm, so good. Yeah. So I'm just curious, again, you, you're in this space of apologetics and the whole that speaks to the questioning heart. And uh, again, you wrote this book, 21 Toughest Questions That Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity. So today, is, we think about they can, is compared to in the past. Is there is there more questioning of faith in the hearts of youth today because of our culture? Or would you say, no, nah, there's, there's always questions. It's all pretty much about the same. 
level? There has been in the Western world for about 50 years uh, a, a gradual breaking down of the family. And the, the divorce rate is like in the 60 percentiles. And so there's been a change. Sociologists talk about we've moved from a familial culture to a tribal culture. Now, familial, the authority figures in our life are mom and dad. It's not so much that the questions have changed, but our young people, and at this point, I'm going to say, let's just talk like 30 and younger. They are suspect of voices of authority because they're less familial and more tribal. Now, in a familial culture, the question is true versus false. But in a tribal culture, the question is acceptance versus rejection, Hmm. uh, shame versus honor. And here's my point. The Bible says Jesus is the only way to heaven. But if, if you've got like a little place of security or sanctuary and all of your friends don't believe that, and especially on like moral issues like homosexuality or, you know, sex before marriage or transgenderism, kids will go against what they know is true because they don't want to risk acceptance by the tribe. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, completely. And in my generation, people would abandon the false and believe the true simply because it's in our best interest to believe what is true. But in a more tribal culture, which is where the Western world is, People don't want to jeopardize their standing in the acceptance group, and therefore they'll put more emphasis on belonging to the tribe than actually affirming what is really true. Wow. Wow. Um, So we need to be able to share the faith, but what what our nation really needs is a move of the Holy Spirit. In a big way. Yeah, yeah. My mind's just kind of <laughs> reeling here a little bit from that insight you just shared about that whole reality of us moving from a familiar, uh, family kind of oriented structure to a more tribal oriented structure. Totally makes sense to me. Totally clicked as soon as you were you were saying it. What does it look like for a parent to engage that and try to to kind of nurture more of a family orientation, a truth base versus allowing our kids just to be pulled into that whole tribal mentality. Let let me say a word to the men out there that honestly, we we need such um, renaissance of godly men Mm -hmm. in our homes and in our culture. We really do. And I know it's not easy. I mean, look, um, you know, being a, a husband and a father, and an employee or a business owner, you know, men today wear a lot of hats, as do women. Besides God's word, you know, the, the Bible tells us about what it is to be a godly man or a godly woman. But do you know volumes of research, sociologists and psychologists, you know, sociologists and mental health professionals say that when the, the dad is spiritually and morally, the, the head of the family, utterly, utterly committed to his wife. Everybody's going to be happier, more stable. One of the keys to young people really having a deep relationship with the Lord and sticking with it after high school is the, the way the fathers lead out mm. spiritually. Wow. And, and I don't want men to think, you know, oh, you've got to be some theologian or something like that. Not saying that at all. But the fact is just to pray with your wife. You know, this is wild. There was a Harvard 
university study when when husband and wife have a daily devotional together quiet time and you, you might read you know open windows or our daily bread or you know some devotional even for like five minutes the divorce rate is is roughly one divorce in a thousand couples which is like nil right so i want to encourage the men out there uh you're going to be happier more stable probably more financially successful there's a university of california santa barbara study it was published in psychology today when men and women stay married even through the rough times and they have a faith base a center now you and i would say christianity church but just this secular survey was talking about you know faith and god are part of the marriage you're even statistically even less likely to get in a car wreck i mean it's just amazing the perks and benefits of being a godly spouse so i would say you know thank god for christian women thank god for the moms but we need a move of god among the men to guys to be a disciple to love your spouse and to model it before your children and that that will truly change our nation it really will God is always at work among us. Given the choice, Paul would have walked away upon arrival at Crossroads Mission Avenue, a ministry serving the tri-cities of Hastings, Kearney, and Grand Island that exists to bring glory to God through the helping of people. So what kept him from walking away? A broken foot. Paul's battle with alcoholism started at 16. One night, years later, while under the influence, he broke his foot so badly he couldn't walk on it. The same night, his family intervened, brought him to crossroads, and he did not like it. But now, Paul sees his broken foot as divine intervention. Although he initially resisted change, at crossroads, Paul achieved sobriety for the first time in 32 years. He was connected to Christ-centered community and support, which empowered Paul to live independently and pursue a career as he learns to walk with God. God is on the move through Crossroads Mission Avenue as they bring glory to God through the helping of people like Paul. My Bridge Radio, celebrating God at work among us. Share your story and join the conversation in the Connect Now section at MyBridgeRadio.net. You know, Alex, as I think about this whole area of kids questioning faith, as normal as we logically can recognize that likely is in the heart of a kid at some point along the way, it can be alarming for a parent, <laughs> you know, when their kids start pushing into that space and questioning their faith and the faith of their family that they grew up in. So can you normalize that a little bit for parents and maybe calm the concerned hearts and say, why should we not be worried about our kids questioning their faith. Yeah, that is a great question, brother. That really is. And hey, I know we, we've all heard the train wreck stories of kids, you know, raised in a Christian home yeah. and they uh, graduate from high school and they graduate from God or they go away to the university and they become an atheist. And those stories are out there. But I want to say this too, in literally hundreds of families that I've interviewed, like for the 21 questions book, I interviewed 300 families that had children ages 5 to 13. And in, in the 21 Questions book, we distilled it down to the top 
three uh, or 21 questions that families with kids 5 to 12 and 13. But here's the thing, the word of encouragement to not be worried. Yes, there are the, the, the sad stories of kids who fall away, but I've heard literally, literally hundreds of stories of kids that maybe they had a, a dry spell or a, a season in the desert, shall we say. But they come back because, you know, Proverbs, I believe it's Proverbs 22, 6 Hmm. says, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. And from the training up of a child to the when they return, there might be an interval where they wrestle through some things and own their faith for themselves. But I want to say to moms and dads and grandparents, be encouraged. For one thing, the gospel is true Uh, for, for Isaiah 55. Uh, God's word does not return void. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And yes, there are kids that that wander away from the Lord, but there are also, I think, 95 plus percent that do come back because the seed of the gospel, you know, the New Testament calls it the eternal word of God, not corruptible seed that dies, but the Word of God that lives forever. I mean, it just, between the truth of the gospel and the overtures of the Holy Spirit, uh, kids do come home and they come back to Jesus. Now, we would like to see that happen sooner rather than later, but if a parent of a prodigal is listening to this conversation, I want to say be encouraged. Uh, Don't despair. You know, pray and share the love of Jesus, but The truth of the gospel is a very powerful thing. Sometimes people run from God, but God is so merciful that he he runs after us Mm. and his Holy Spirit does bring people back. Mm. Yeah, so good. So on the other end, why should we be sobered maybe and take seriously when our kids enter into a questioning phase in their faith? Let Let me just say this too. We don't want kids to think that Christianity is a blind faith. Hmm. Years ago, Mark Twain said, faith is believing something you know isn't true. Uh, No, I completely disagree. Uh, By the way, the word faith or belief in the New Testament, like in Acts 16, verse 31, where it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Or, you know, John 3, 16, whosoever believes in him. The word belief there is is a Greek word that means, it, it really means trust, but it means a response to available knowledge. So, I mean, when we say put your trust in Jesus, we're not saying switch off your mind and just believe something blindly. Uh, What we're saying is, no, look, there are compelling lines of evidence, historically, archeologically, textually. I mean, uh, it's been said that the life of Jesus, and, and I completely agree with this. I've interviewed hundreds of scholars of all strata, but the life of Jesus is, is the most historically documented life of the ancient world. Mm-hmm. Historians look at eyewitnesses and multiple eyewitness testimony and hostile testimony. So we've got Jesus who claimed to be the, the Savior, was crucified, rose from the dead, the most documented life of the ancient world. And then we've got the Bible, uh, manuscripts preserved. And even if there were no biblical manuscripts, we've got nearly, a lot of people don't know this, nearly one million examples of verses 
quoted in early church correspondence. So we could reconstruct the Bible, even if we didn't have the manuscripts of the Bible. And so we've got Jesus, the Son of God. We've got the Bible, the Word of God. I would say to moms and dads and, and anyone questioning, yes, you still have to take that step of faith. You still have to say, Lord, I trust you. Dear Jesus, come into my life and and forgive my sins. But it is absolutely a faith based on compelling evidence. In in fact, I would say that um, not only is belief completely justified, actually unbelief in the face of all this compelling data is what's unjustified. So I want kids to know it is faith, trust, belief, but it's a belief corroborated by compelling lines of proof. Well, talk to the parent right now who has a youth in their home right now who has declared, I don't know what I believe this stuff. What does the parent do and maybe what do they not do? Like what posture should a parent take with that? Great question. Uh, yeah, let's talk about what not to do. Don't freak out and don't <laughs> panic and don't have a deer in the headlights look. Hmm. It's an opportunity. I, I really think that when somebody says, and it's it's one thing if a, if a, a young person says, look, I reject this. I, I reject it. But it's a completely different posture if a, a teen says, you know, I'm not sure if I really believe this, you know, because if somebody says, you know, I'm not, not sure, that's an opportunity because they're saying, look, you know, if, if it's real, I got to know, you know, if, if it's not real, I need to know that. And so I would encourage moms and dads to um, remember, you know, like Second uh, Peter chapter one, verse 16, the apostle Peter said this. He said, we have not followed cleverly devised fables when we made known unto you the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's almost as if even within the New Testament, it's almost as if the writers anticipated that people would question, look, is this really real? Is that tomb truly empty? What I would say to a parent is to say, what are the top one or two reasons if you're not sure this God thing is is for real anymore, why? Is there something that's led you to that? Because I will say this, and this is not just young people, but this is people of any age who are potentially susceptible to this. Very often, doubt accompanies a real time of emotional duress or stress. Now, I, I've counseled with men that struggle with their belief, like after losing their job or something. For a kid, it could be, you know, getting cut from a sports team, uh, breaking up with a girlfriend, you know, not getting accepted to the college I wanted. And so, you know, there's this old principle, HALT, H-A-L-T, don't make any major life decision if you're hungry, Hungry. angry, lonely, (laughs) tired. Hmm. So I think moms and dads often find that if a, a late teen, like you say, an upper teen or early 20s, if they go through a season of, of struggle, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We struggle throughout our whole lives. We're, we're human beings. But very often that's running on a parallel track with something that's pretty emotionally draining or something. But then say, hey, may we talk about it? So don't panic. Don't get angry. But be patient because... Here's the thing, mom and dad, that I would say, you love your child, you love your child, and you're concerned for their spiritual welfare. Well, 
the Lord loves them even more mm-hmm. and even more than we parents could ever do. Jesus cares about their spirit, spiritual welfare. Now, I, I do want to say this. We are living in the golden age of apologetics. 70 years ago, when C.S. Lewis was just beginning to emerge as a defender of the faith, in America, there were two apologetics books in print, Hmm. like two. Uh, One was by a guy named E.J. Cornell, and then C.S. Lewis wrote Mere Christianity, which was really a transcript of some radio shows he did on the BBC. But today, among uh, Christian publishing, which is a, you know, huge industry. The fastest growing segment of Christian publishing is apologetics Mm. and worldview. And here's my point, whether it's history, the Bible, science, oh my goodness, there are physicists, biologists, chemists, pathologists. I don't care what discipline you name, there are people emerging that are first-rate scholars that are writing about the evidence for Christianity. And um, even even in areas like math and logic and critical thinking skills, here's my point. In a world without God, we wouldn't have such order and structure. And whether it's medical doctors or astrophysicists or archaeologists or historians, it's been our privilege to interview literally hundreds of PhDs that are tops in their fields who say, yes, I've looked at the evidence. Jesus Christ is real. I'm a committed believer. And so mom and dad, try to find out kind of why your son or daughter is having this, you know, lapse in their faith. And it's really an opportunity because if they patiently, you know, calmly, look at the evidence, they're going to come out on the other side stronger than ever, and not just following the Lord because mom and dad told them to, but because they found out for themselves that it's really, really real, and it is the the most wonderful experience of our life to know Christ. Listen for the difference, helping keep you connected to God and each other through life-giving messages, stories, and songs shared all day long on MyBridge Radio. I'm curious if you're finding this in your interaction with youth and families and around the whole area of apologetics and kids processing through faith. One thing that I'm starting to kind of hear fairly regularly is a youth grappling with holding onto their faith as they've encountered in the specifically the public school, the LGBT community. And having a friend that is in that space, hearing all the messages the secular world puts out there about that area, and them having a hard time reconciling that with the opposition to that lifestyle that comes from a Christian perspective and a biblical perspective, but yet they're in the space that's so welcoming of it and embracing of it and celebrating of it and a friend that is a good friend of theirs. And I'm seeing them have a hard time holding on to that and it's causing them to kind of lose grip on truth in the Bible. I don't know. Have you seen that? And how do you process that? How do you help kids process through that? I think that's the most well-structured question that I've had all week long. Mm -hmm. And I commend you for it. Um, It seems like in every generation, 
something comes along that's like drawing a line in the sand mm. that is is almost like a brick wall spiritually that hits people. And in, in recent years, it's been like the, the not just homosexuality, transgenderism. Yeah. Here's the, the impasse on which we find ourselves. You know, because the Bible says, repent, turn to Jesus. You know, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it's like, it lists all these people that if they don't repent, they do not inherit the kingdom of God. God can save, God can change every life. But today the message, and certainly in public schools, is, well, people are born this way. There's a third class of human being. There's male, there's female, and now they're non-binary. And so the impasse is, the Bible says, you've got to be a redeemed male or female. But if there is no such thing as male or female, then either this is true or that's true, but they can't both be true at the same time, which is right. Now, let me say this. Um, 25 years ago, I was doing a master's in developmental psych, and I had a professor from UCLA Medical School who predicted all of this. Hmm. We talked about how the breakdown of the family would result in gender confusion. Wow. Now, part of that, and, and I'm giving a semester all in like one minute here, <laughs> but it's from dad that a little boy learns masculinity. It's from mom that a young girl learns femininity. And so much about gender roles is learned in the context of a stable, heterosexual, monogamous family. Not only same-sex attraction, we've had a perfect storm of several things that would coalesce. The breakdown of the family for, for 50 years now, and we're at the point where... 63 to 65% of kids never live under the roof with their biological mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Then we've had the hypersexualization of the culture. And then we've had mobile devices and cell phones and the internet where a, a child, by the time they reach pre-adolescence, which is, you know, late childhood, pre-adolescence, nine through 12, and the hormones are kicking in, and then there's full-blown adolescence in our years we develop physically in so many ways. A kid in pre-adolescence will have seen as much porn as a, an adult male 50 years ago would have seen in his entire life. Wow. So here's the thing that transgenderism, I want to say God loves all people, but God loves us enough to try to shepherd us to health and wholeness and even redemption, right? So a child is like, well, I I know what I've heard in church, but I've got my friend at school and they're, you know, gender ambiguous, androgynous, confused. They're a good person. I have to say Satan is a master deceiver because it's the Bible that seems kind of abstract and disconnected from who I am. And here's my friend that's right here and I can see. And uh, rather than believe my friend is somehow broken and wrong, I'm going to embrace this person I know rather than something that I've heard from the pulpit that may not have even been explained all that clearly. Hmm. Now, so what do we do? Well, we, we can't cave in to the mood of the moment because truth has a real tenacity about it. Male, female, heterosexual monogamy, that's going to be true a thousand years from now if Christ hasn't come back. And we have to help our kids understand 
we, we don't we don't just fall over to the voice of the moment, but we listen to the revealed truth of God and and just reality itself. I mean, I mean, my wife is a nurse, by the way. Uh, let me tell you who's pushing back against transgenderism more than preachers and church folk. It's the medical community. Hmm. Because look, I mean, biology is inherently binary. Procreation, pregnancy, uh, whether it's you know plant life, animal life, or human reproduction, it's male and female. And so try to help kids understand that there are a lot of hurting people and they're trying to find wholeness and peace. Then there's Hollywood and the media. And believe me, I, I've been in secular media, Christian media, sat down in the boardrooms of corporations. Media and entertainment is about money. And if they, it's whether it's Bud Light or Maybelline Cosmetics, if they think they can make a buck, they'll engage Dylan uh, Mulvaney to be a transgender spokesperson. For, for Hollywood and corporate America, it has nothing to do with reality. It's just they will put anybody on a product that they think can sell something. But for things that are objectively true, like medicine, science, and the Word of God, they know transgenderism is false. We've got to be that trusted voice that a young person will feel like believing. See, there with the tribal culture, there's question of authority, because here's the thing, there's power and motive. I, I recently spoke at the University of Kentucky Medical School at Louisville, and um, you know, here I am, a middle-aged white guy, up there talking about old-fashioned morals. Mm. And they want to know, you know, what's your angle? You know, are you trying to play me? You know, and I said, look, I get it. Believe me, I understand. I could give you academic credentials. I could give you research. Um, but you want to know what's my motive for what I'm saying? And is this something about power and control? It isn't. It's simply about truth. And so we adults whether it's parents, pastors, grandparents, whomever, we want the kids to know, look, I'm not telling you these things because I have an angle. I'm not telling you these things because I'm trying to play you in any way. I'm just telling you these things because it's true. And the Lord told us these things because it's true and because he loves us. So we're living in a time of a lot of spiritual and even intellectual and emotional dynamics, aren't we? We, it's not just throw the truth out there. Sometimes we have to help people trust that truth is worth hearing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. We could talk all day, which I knew would be the case. And if you're gracious enough, we'll probably have you back here to kind of end our time. Just a question in terms, again, that you've created a great resource, the 21 toughest questions your kids will ask about Christianity. Any suggestions about parents on how they might utilize that resource with their kids? Is it something they read and interact with their kids? They read it together to give it to the kids to read? Like, what could that look like for parents to really access that resource well? You know, and l let me say this. Sometimes parents think, because I can't do everything, I'm just not going to do anything. And don't feel like suddenly we got to do a 180 and we're going to have Bible study three times a week. 
Now, start out with something realistic and achievable, like maybe one night a week, have a five or 10 minute devotional, and you could read this book together, 21 Toughest Questions. Even just look at the table of contents Mm. and see what the questions are and ask your child, which one of these would you like to do first? I will say I did a video series and I give God the glory, but one uh, about four years ago, Video Curriculum of the Year at the International Christian Visual Media Awards in Cincinnati. And the 21 toughest questions your kids will ask, uh, the book is available everywhere. But the video curriculum, it's got seven hours of teaching and a study guide. And many churches have shown it like on Wednesday nights or in Sunday school. The American Family Association, uh, afa.net, on their resources page, is very affordable. Like if you go on Amazon.com, I think it's like $40. But if you go on the American Family Association, the boxed set video is like $20 or something. In other words, it's essentially at cost because we're just trying to get it in the hands of people. But we've had families watch the video lessons. There's a short lesson and go through these questions. You know, it all comes down to a personal decision to know the Lord. And they themselves are wondering, you know, do I really have a relationship with Christ? Let me just encourage everybody listening. Jesus is as close by as a prayer. He is real. He loves you very, very much. And if you call out to Christ, He will become a part of your life. He'll forgive your sins. He'll make you brand new inside. Everybody hearing this can become a Christian today by calling out to Christ. He is the the one and only Savior. I just encourage everybody to know Christ, to grow in Christ, and to pass that faith on to all those around them. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been rich. Uh, Indeed. You're so gracious. I, I sincerely appreciate this opportunity. Wow, there was a lot there. I especially appreciate how thoughtful Alex was about our kids wanting to be equipped to have conversations with their friends about cultural issues that are just so prevalent in society today. I feel like his books would be some great resources to have at the ready at home, especially that one entitled The 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity. If you want to know how to find that book, we've got links in the show notes.